Correction is a major tool for transformation. When corrections come, there must be adjustment. The moment you begin to respond to correction by adjusting yourself, transformation happens. Correction comes from the Lord through the people he has set in your life. Adjustment is your response to correction. To resist correction is to forfeit growth. Correction is a demonstration of God's grace and mercy. The Word of God is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Be blessed today as God's servant, Reverend Peter Ayo Alabi, brings you God's Word. Glory to God. It's an aberration to be a teacher of the Word and not flow in the miraculous. It's a terrible aberration because the Word itself is power. The Word of God is power. All right? And every miracle that happened tonight, the devil can't stop it. Yes, can't stand it. Yes, and there's nothing he can do about it. Yes, Those miracles are permanent. Yes, Whatever you have been set free from, you remain free forever. Yes, that affliction is not coming back again. Yes, that pain is not coming back again. Yes, that misfortune is not coming back again. You are free from here Amen. and you are free forever Amen. in Jesus precious name Amen. and everybody said it loud Amen. Amen so we continue our teaching we are going to make progress in the teaching tonight metamorpho glory to God hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. 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 Amen and we said a lot of things last week and so I will not belabor it because of our time. And so I'm going to just continue. And um, we laid good foundation by talking about how God uses his word to correct. You remember we looked at 2 Timothy chapter 3 last week Wednesday. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul speaking to Timothy in verse uh, uh, 15 and 16. That from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation which is through faith in Christ Jesus, 16 says all scripture is given by the inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be what? Perfect, thoroughly furnished for every good work. Glory to God. Say, I am that man of God. Say it like your voice is just say, I am that man of God. Glory to God. And so the word of God is used for correction. Hallelujah. Did you see that? We saw last week that when God wants to give evidence, the evidence of God is his word. Did you see that? And you see that word reproof there in 2 Timothy 3.16 is the Greek word elenchos. It's the same word you see in Hebrews 11. Faith, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The elenchos, evidence of things not seen. The evidence, the elenchos, that's the same Greek word you find in 2 Timothy 3, 16, you see, is the evidence of things not seen. So when God wants to give evidence, he gives his word. God's word is God's evidence. And we saw that Paul was trying to tell Timothy the things that the word of God is useful for. And one of such things is correction. <clears throat> Did you see? Correction. And, um, we're going to look more intently at this because correction is a major tool for transformation. 
Correction is a major tool for transformation. It's a major tool for transformation, especially in the hands of God. If you're going to experience transformation, you will go through corrections. God is going to make adjustments or call for adjustments to be made in your life. Now, there are three voices in your life that you must pay attention to. The first one is the voice of instruction. There must be a voice of instruction in your life. All these three voices are important. So the first is the voice of instruction. The second is the voice of encouragement. The voice of instruction. The voice of encouragement. And then number three, the voice of correction. The voice of correction. And um, in your life, you must have people who can speak to you, who can give you instruction from time to time. You must have instructors in your life. When you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians and the 4th chapter, Apostle Paul is speaking to the Corinthians, glory to Jesus, and Paul speaks to them in, uh, let's look at um, glory to Jesus. Let's begin from verse, I can see my Bible, don't worry, praise God. And we read from verse 15. For though ye have 10,000 instructors, do you see that? So there are instructors in your life. So for though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, Paul said, I have begotten you through the gospel. Do you see that? So Paul says, though you may have 10,000 instructors. So there must be instruction coming to you. There must be voice or voices of instruction. That's why we say that in life you're going to have many unconscious teachers, but you cannot afford to be an unconscious learner. You can't afford it. You must always be tuned to the voice of instruction. So Paul says, though ye have 10,000 instructors. Did you see that? So there's the voice of instruction. There's also the voice of encouragement. There is the voice of encouragement. That's the voice that cheers you on. Do you see the voice that cheers you on? And you can count on the Holy Ghost to do all these things. The Holy Ghost particularly is an encourager. That's why it's called the comforter. You see, the word comfort does not mean to say sorry for what happened to you. It means to edify you, to establish you. That's what comfort is. is to establish you. Did you see that? To establish you. That's a job of comforting. And that's the Holy Ghost for you. He encourages you. He gets you established. Did you see? So that you are not taken out of the way. The voice of encouragement. And he will use people to encourage. The Holy Ghost will use people to encourage us. Did you see that? Uh, you see Paul talking about how that when, you know, he was going to send Epaphroditus, or when they sent Epaphroditus to him, they were able to fulfill that which they desired to do to help him. And then Paul began to also speak of how that, uh, you know, one of his men was sick. You know, uh, we, I mix Epaphroditus up with the other guy now, the guy with his name, Epaphras. Did you see that? How Epaphras was sick. And he said, you know, I'm going to send him to you so that you guys can be encouraged. Did you see that? So there are people God sends to you for your encouragement. Can you see? Some people, when they just show up, you are encouraged by seeing them. You know, somebody who was at the point of death and suddenly God has rescued him from death. When he shows up, it encourages us. Are you hearing what I'm saying tonight? And that's the work of God. 
Sometimes God sends you divine encouragement in, in form of miracles. Did you see that? A, a breakthrough out of the blue. Did you see? A financial supply. Are you hearing what I'm saying now? A, a connection. Yes, sir. Much needed connection. Did you see? Something that meets a pressing need. It's a divine encouragement. Do you see that? And God sends it to us from time to time. Just so that we don't get weary. And may God give you divine encouragement. Do you see what I'm saying? So there are voices of encouragement. There are voices of encouragement. Sometimes you just come to church and what you were bothered about in your mind, and that's exactly what is being said in the service. That's a voice of encouragement. You know, a few days ago, I remember one of the dead daughters in the house, you know, after we had finished one of the sessions of 40 days of transformation, you know, and then, you know, uh, I was just trying to rest in the living room and mom came to me and she played the voice note, you know, that was sent to her and I could hear the person, you know, sobbing, but there were tears of joy and they were sobbing about how, I mean, everything during the session that evening was the answer to the question that they were asking God. I mean, it, just, it was a word in season for them. This is what I'm talking about. It was just so touching. Hallelujah. That was a divine encouragement. Some of those things, God just uses it to tell you that I'm thinking about you. How many of you know God is thinking about you tonight? He's thinking about you tonight. And he's always thinking about you. Hallelujah. I said he's always thinking about you. Aren't you glad God has you in mind? So be encouraged. Hallelujah. Somebody say I'm encouraged. Hallelujah. Be seated. Glory to God. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So and then there is a voice of correction. The voice of correction must be taken most seriously. The voice of correction must be taken most seriously. And the reason is because we are on a journey of perfection. And correction is going to play a major role in getting us continuously on, to be on that path of perfection. We are on the path or a journey of perfection. And correction plays a major role to keep us on that path. Because if you're going to get better, it's going to be by adjustments and corrections. And you notice that's what we titled this message last Wednesday. Adjustments and corrections. Correction comes from the Lord through the people he has set in your life. Adjustment is your response to correction. I'll say it again. Adjustment is your response to correction. When you are given correction, your own response to correction is to adjust yourself, to align yourself. Do you see? If, if all we did was to correct and you don't respond by adjusting to the correction, then you wasted your time and our time and God's time. Did you see that? When God corrects us, we must adjust. In other words, it means we are going to do things differently. It means there are things we're doing that we're going to stop. It means there are things we're supposed to be doing that we weren't doing before and then we'll start doing them. It means there are sometimes things that we are not doing enough, so we've got to intensify. It means sometimes there are things we're doing too much, and then we've got to reduce and tone down. Either way, when corrections come, there must be adjustment. The moment you begin to respond to correction by adjusting yourself, transformation happens. i say it again. The moment you begin to respond to correction positively by adjusting yourself or making adjustments where necessary, transformation begins. Transformation begins. 
The reason many don't grow or experience transformation in their lives is because they resist correction. To resist correction is to forfeit growth. To resist correction is to forfeit growth. You're not going to grow if you keep resisting and rejecting corrections. In Psalm 94 verse 10, he said, He that chastiseth the heathen shall not he correct. He that teacheth man knowledge shall not he know. So he says, God chastises the heathen. And you got to understand, if he's going to chastise the heathen, how much more his own children? How much more his own children? Those who are already his own. Did you see that? And so you understand, it's a blessing to be corrected. And to receive correction. Job 5.17 Behold, happy is the man whom God correcteth. Happy is the man whom God corrected. Therefore, despise not thou the chastening of the Almighty. Despise not thou the chastening of the Almighty. Psalm 94, verse 12 to 14. Blessed is the man whom thou chastenest, which is correct, reform. I told you that last week. O Lord, and teach us him out of thy law, that thou mayest give him rest from the days of adversity, until the pit be digged for the wicked. So it means when God corrects a person, you see, God is giving you rest for the day of adversity. So you see, in other words, that correction will, will cause for adjustments. That adjustment is what will give you rest in the time of adversity. So it means some corrections of God is to prepare us for the days ahead. Some corrections of God is to prepare us for the days ahead. Imagine God telling you, stop spending the way you're spending. Because he sees some days coming ahead of you. Do you see that? People who receive correction become a delight. People who receive correction become a delight. Proverbs 29, 17. Correct thy son and he shall give thee rest. Yea, he shall give delight unto thy soul. Correct thy son and he shall give thee rest. Yea, he shall give delight unto thy soul. So it means fathers and mothers, parents generally, who love their kids, did you see that? will correct their kids. You see, if you want your children to give you rest or a restful future, a restful old age, correct them as they are growing up. Correct them as they are growing up. In the body of Christ, the same thing applies. A good local church is a place where you receive correction constantly. So it is not a sign of love when your leaders don't correct you in church. It's not a sign of love. It's hatred. A leader, a pastor, a minister who loves people will correct people. Will correct people. Any church where anything goes, there's no love there. There's no love there. And therefore, there will be no rest there. It's just a matter of time. So he says, correct thy son and he shall give thee rest. Yea, he shall give delight unto thy soul. In other words, the delight is going to come as a result of the adjustments. Now, I remember I, I had a privilege to visit with a, an elder in the body of Christ, a, a man of God in this city, and um, a couple of times last year. And I, I'll never forget one of the days I was there, he introduced his, his son, one of his sons to me. And I, I'll never forget what he said. He said, you remember I told you that? You see, he, said, he said, you know, he said, this is my son. He said, well-adjusted son. If I said I have, you know, you mentioned number of kids here. Yeah? He said, all my children are well-adjusted. 
<laughs> and that statement never left me because you see, when kids are raised, did you see that? There will be need for corrections here and there. Now, for him to say well-adjusted means those kids have responded to corrections. They have responded, they responded to trainings. So it means there was a way they wanted to go before, but every time they wanted to go that way and they were corrected, they adjusted themselves. So their father can be proud of them now. He has delight in them. He delights in them to say, my well-adjusted son. My well-adjusted son. Let God be able to speak of you that way. My well-adjusted son. <laughs> I, I feel God can talk, talk about me like that. I know that. My well-adjusted son. Hallelujah. Adjusted. You've got to be adjusted, man. You know, what would be the opposite of being well-adjusted? To me, to be set in your ways. Did you see that? The opposite of being well-adjusted is to be set in one's ways. That's stubbornness. That's to be recalcitrant. Let me give you another bigger word to confuse you more. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I'm looking for a bigger word now. Can't find it. Uh, recalcitrant. I've used that already. Uh, belligerent. Uh, all right then. <laughs> I think that's as far as I can go in my grammatical uh, exploit. Uh, I've used belligerent, yeah? Okay. <laughs> Igihaga. <laughs> when you run out of words now, you start creating nonsense. Praise God. <laughs> this is what I'm saying. You see now. So we mustn't be set in our ways. We've got to adjust ourselves to the corrections of God. Say after me, say I adjust, I adjust. to the corrections of God. In my life. Can you say amen, somebody? And so truly, when we adjust to correction, we become a delight. God delights in children who adjust to correction. Just like every parent will delight in children who adjust to correction. Did you see that? In Hebrews 12, or before we go to Hebrews 12, let's go to Jeremiah 10, 24. And we see how that Jeremiah had a good attitude to correction. Oh Lord, correct me, but with judgment, not in thine anger, lest thou bring me to nothing. Now, of course, he's speaking from the understanding he had, but notice he's asking for correction. And I would say this over the years, it's good for you to ask for correction. If many people knew the benefit of correction, you would request for it. You would request for it. And that's what I'm showing you tonight, because you see, you know, as against when people now rebel against correction or run away from correction, it's because they don't know the benefit of correction. When you know the benefit of correction, you realize as a believer, you should actually be requesting for correction from time to time. You should be asking, Dad, any correction for me? You ask your team lead, any correction for me? The resident pastor in the other centers, do you have any correction for me? That's the way. Especially after you've done something, a task, and even when everybody has celebrated you, you want to ask, do, I, do you have any corrections for me? Now, it's, it's a culture in this church that is fast developing. Because most of the leaders, you see, uh, sometimes they get an opportunity to preach, to teach, and one of the first things that all of them will do is to say, Dad, do, I have, do you have any correction for me? You see what I'm saying? It was some of you. Yeah, you know, I remember recently, Vincent was, you know, just shared, you know, a little bit along other, alongside other people who shared during this two-hours meeting about two Sundays ago. And then he sent me a message later that day and he said that, do, do you have any correction for me? And I was just laughing when I saw his message. I, just, I said, don't worry, I wasn't really looking to correct you guys. I just wanted to hear you guys talk. You see what I'm saying? But that's a good attitude. 
That's a good idea. No matter how good your performance, your ministration, ask for correction. So in other words, you must love correction. Don't see it as a bad thing. It's a great thing to be corrected. I don't know about you, but I love to be corrected. I tell you, I love to be corrected. I love it. 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 I I tell you, I love it. I love it. I love it. You see, to a wise person, he can find instruction and correction in everything. Even in things that are pertaining to other people. To a wise person, he will find instruction, he will find correction in everything. You see how somebody is doing what he's doing. Don't just be there to criticize. Be there to learn something. And what can I learn from that? That if I were to do the same thing they are doing, what is it that they got there, that they got right, that I don't know yet in my own, that I can use to correct what I'm doing? And what is it that they got wrong, that I can be well off when it's my turn? And it's all a matter of attitude. A good attitude towards correction. Hebrews 12, 9. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. So notice there. He's saying that one attitude to response should be reverence. We have had fathers of our flesh, which corrected us, and he said, we gave them reverence. We gave them reverence. Did you see? Unfortunately, some people don't give reverence to people who correct them. Even their fathers. Can you imagine that? <laughs> Did you see that? Somebody say, not me. Not me. So he said, furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. The word reverence there means respect. Did you see? It means, did you see, to regard Can you see that? It means to regard, did you see? And to respect. He says, shall we not much more rather be in subjection unto the father of spirits and live? So he's saying to us here about the attitude we must have to correction. In Proverbs 3, 11 to 12, my son despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. Did you see that? For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth. Even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. On Sunday I told you, having the eyes of a father. The eyes of a father is the ability to see the potential in a child or a thing. Did you see that? And to nurture that child and unto when it's right to bring out that thing from that child. And one of the ways to nurture is to correct. One of the ways to nurture is to correct. Did you see that? So he says, despise not the chastening of the Lord. The word despise is from the Hebrew word mahas. M-W-A-S. We spell it in the English way. Mahas. The word despise, when he says despise not the chastening of the Lord. And it means to disappear. That is, you see people when they are corrected, they run away. That's despise. It just doesn't show up anymore. Because he's been corrected. In my few years of pastoral ministry, I've encountered people who left church because they were corrected. I've even seen people at the level of leadership leave church because they were corrected. That's what the Bible is talking about. That kind of person has done what? He has despised correction. The word mahas, it means to disappear. So they correct you and then, bam, 
you scram. You run away. You refuse to show up. You know what I say to people like that? That correction is going to be waiting for you wherever you're going to. You can't skip it. It's not possible. It's not possible. So don't waste your time and don't waste God's time. Just take the correction now and grow. Especially in the terrain of ministry, I found that people who disappear because they are corrected, many of them never get back in shape again. And I'll tell you why. Ego. Because when time passes, you think about God is God will not skip classes for you. Never. The class you ran away from, you will have to come back there. But unfortunately, ego doesn't let many people come back there. And so they become completely like dropouts from the work of a ministry. And I tell you, the older you get most times, the harder it is to receive correction. That's if you've made it a habit to not receive correction. It's become harder. The best time to learn good attitude of correction is when you are young. So that it will stay with you for the rest of your life. If you, if you develop a bad habit of correction when you are young, I tell you, it will be very difficult for you to ever take correction in life. <laughs> it will be very difficult. You see, because receiving correction with a good heart is a childlike attitude. It's a childlike attribute. Have you noticed children? They have no problem with correction. You correct a child right now, even if he's not happy, within a few minutes, he has forgotten about it. He's playing with you again. He's smiling with you again. And if he's about to do that same thing, he said, I just told you, I said, oh, okay, 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 okay. okay. <laughs> it's no issue for the child. So, a good attitude to correction is a childlike attribute. Is a childlike, and you see, you've got to be childlike, but not childish. You mustn't outgrow childlikeness. Jesus said, except you receive the kingdom of God as a child. You've got to take the kingdom like a child. Some have become uncles of God and aunties of God. So they can't take correction anymore. Their ego is so big. So big. Did you see what I'm saying? So you must be childlike and receive correction. Don't despise it. Don't disappear. So the word in Proverbs 3.11, my son, despise not the chasing of the Lord. You see that word despise is from the word mahas. And we said, first of all, it means to disappear. Number two, it also means to abhor. A-B-H-O-R, which is similar to disappear. That is to begin to avoid someone. Begin to avoid your teacher because they corrected you. You don't want to pick calls anymore. You read the message on WhatsApp, but you act as if you didn't see it. You say, why didn't you respond? You say, uh, bad network. <laughs> it also means to cast away or to cast off. It means to cast away or to cast off. Like saying, ask or whatever. It also means contempt. C-O- N-T-E-M-N. Contempt. Where you get the word contempt? Uh, contempt. Do you see that? It also means to disdain. To disdain. That word mahas also means to loathe. L-O-H-L-O-A-T-H-E. Loathe. To loathe someone or something. It also means to melt away. You raise all kinds of excuses to just 
to make nonsense of the correction you received. It means to refuse. It means to reject. It means to be reprobate. To be reprobate. And if you know what Paul said about having a reprobate mind in Romans chapter 1 or Romans chapter 2, you know that's not something to become. Now, you know, many years ago, reading my Bible, I was not a pastor yet, just reading my Bible as a young believer. My, I remember my Dick's annotated Bible, which I stole proudly from my father's library. Proudly. That's a good thing to steal at that age. Because I couldn't afford it, so I, I just took it. I didn't steal it, I took it. <laughs> you know, like that prodigal son, I took my inheritance. Praise the Lord. <laughs> and uh, that, was the, that was the first Bible I had that had a concordance at the back. So I went to check the word reprobate. And it means to have a mind that is no longer capable of receiving truth. It's a very dangerous thing. To have a mind that can no longer comprehend truth. You see that. It can't take truth anymore. It has been conditioned to resist truth. It has become a condition. You know, Paul spoke about it. He said, God gave them up to, repro to a reprobate mind. He didn't put them in that condition. They did. He was trying to save them from it, but they kept insisting. And so he had to allow them. Did you see that? And that's what happens to people who never take correction. It gets to a point that it becomes a condition. It becomes a condition. A condition where truth no longer appeals to them. Truth no longer appeals to them. It gets to a point where people begin to love lies. They love lies. So I heard the story of a person who they said, they told the woman, this guy that is told to you is telling lies. He said, I know. He said, I know he's telling lies, but I like the presentation. <laughs> You know, that's a very confused human being. He said, this person is telling lies. So he said, I like, I know he's telling lies, but I like his presentation. He said, so leave, let me just, let him continue to deceive me. I am enjoying it. You know, that's a warped person. Messed up completely. <laughs> let me just elbow your neighbor gently. Say, don't be like that too. None uh, of you single ladies, that foolish boy that is telling you nonsense. That his mouth is so sweet. And you know. Ah, you know. And everybody is telling you. And you say, you know that he's, a, he's an idiot. But you say, ah, Chai, the way, he's, the way he's presenting it, my God. I like his rhymes. His lines. You know. He has utterance. That's not utterance. That's a lying spirit. <laughs> Tell them, I say, don't fall for it, don't fall for it. <laughs> Did you see that? We've also seen the fact that correction does not kill, but a, but a bad attitude towards correction kills. Correction itself does not kill, but a bad attitude to correction is what kills people. Proverbs 23, 13. Withhold not correction from the child. For if thou beatest him with a rod, he shall not die. And at this point last week, I showed you what the rod is supposed to be. And let's read it in the Amplified Classic. He says, withhold not discipline from the child. And I hope you got the real uh, original. All right. Today. Okay, it was TPT you got last week that. You got the make our way down version. <laughs> but now you got... The Amplified says, withhold not discipline, Proverbs 23, 13, from the child. For if you strike and punish him with the reed-like rod, he will not die. And I showed you the read like rod. 
I showed you the read itself last week. How many of you remember the read? You, you, you probably have to store the picture <laughs> so you can adjust yourself when you are correcting your kids. This is what I'm saying. So you shouldn't use anything harder than this. Say amen to that. You, even your words should not be harder than this. <laughs> You know, if you look at this, you know, you can use to stroke yourself to sleep. <laughs> you know, you know, when I was growing up, my mother had this, like a chicken feather that she used to stroke her ear like that, you know, and then sometimes I would go and sneak and take that thing, just stroke, ah, very sweet. <laughs> that one cannot correct you. <laughs> it is not the top part of this thing, it's the base. Uh-huh. <laughs> If you use this one, it's for Chief Tansi Taichu. Praise the Lord. <laughs> it's the base of it. <laughs> Did you see that? Proverbs 15.10, Correction is grievous unto him that forsaketh the way. And he that hateth reproof shall die. That's the word of the Lord. Proverbs 15.10, Correction is grievous unto him that forsaketh the way. So when you see a person who finds correction grievous, they're already losing their way in life. They're losing their way. In other words, to reject correction is a mark of going astray. It's a sign that the person is already going astray. When people begin to have a, a bad attitude towards correction, it shows that they are already losing their way in life. It's a mark of one who is going astray in life. And it says, he that hated reproof shall die. Did you see? The amplified version of that verse, Proverbs 15.10 says, there is severe discipline for him who forsakes God's way, and he who hates reproof will die physically, morally, and spiritually. Did you see this? As the Amplified Classic. It's that he that hates reproof will die physically, morally, and spiritually. The Passion Translation. It says, severe punishment awaits the one who turns away from the truth. And those who rebel against correction will die. Those who rebel against correction, the Passion Translation, he says, those who rebel against correction will die. Jeremiah 2.30, King James. In vain have I smitten your children. They receive no correction. Your own sword has devoured your prophets like a destroyed lion. This was one of God's uh, rebuke to the nation of Israel through prophet Jeremiah. He said, in vain have I smitten your children. They received no correction. In other words, I gave them correction, but they rejected correction. Did you see? In Jeremiah 5.3, O Lord, and not thine eyes upon the truth, thou hast stricken them, but they have not grieved. Thou hast consumed them, but they have refused to receive correction. They have made their faces harder than a rock. They have refused to return. And I was, they refused to repent. Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 28. But thou shalt also say unto them, This is a nation that obeyeth not the voice of the Lord their God, nor receiveth correction. Truth is perished and is cut off from their mouth. Do you see what happened as a result of rejecting correction? He said, truth is perished. And it's gone out of their mouth. Reprobate. In other words, did you see? Zephaniah. It's a book in the Bible. So I wasn't speaking in tongues. Zephaniah. It's a book in the Bible. Zephaniah chapter 3. Open it, everybody. Open your Bible. Zephaniah 3. Anyway, you punch it because you're using devices. Zephaniah. Zephah. Zephah. Not safe hours in money. Zephyr. Zephaniah. Zephaniah chapter 3 is just after Zephaniah chapter 2. In case you're finding it difficult to get it. Verse 1 to 2 says, 
Go to her that is filthy and polluted to the oppressing city. She obeyed not the voice. She received not correction. She trusted not in the Lord. She drew not near to her God. Can you imagine? Heaps of woes on their head. Why? Because they obeyed not the voice. Because they received not correction. Did you see this? And I said to you tonight, if you persist in resistance to correction, then you will be corrected by your wrongdoing. If you persist in resistance to correction, then you will be corrected by your wrongdoing. The Bible says so, Jeremiah 2.19, Thine own wickedness shall correct thee, and thy backsliding shall reprove thee. Know therefore and see that it is an evil thing and bitter, that thou hast forsaken the Lord thy God, and that my fear is not in thee, saith the Lord God of hosts. So he says to them, he says, that your own wickedness, their own wickedness, he says, shall correct them, and their backsliding, he says, shall reprove them. You know, that's why Paul was saying, if we judge ourselves, we should not be judged with the world. Did you see that? So in other words, there are things that if God is trying to correct you from now, you see, let me say to you, the correction of God usually starts and it comes with a lot of discretion. But if you don't take it, it may become a public disgrace. Are you hear what I'm saying now? All right? And, and that's when your own wrongdoing now begins to judge you. Ultimately, correction comes from God as a matter of grace. Correction is a demonstration of God's grace and mercy. And that's why it usually comes with discretion. That is, God's not trying to correct you to embarrass you. And if you will take the correction from the Lord, you realize that you will keep on growing and nobody will even know you had those issues. Are you hearing me, somebody? Write this down. Correction and covering go hand in hand. Correction and covering, covering that is protection, they go hand in hand. Correction and covering go hand in hand. So if you refuse the correction, then you forfeit the covering. Correction and covering go hand in hand. So if you refuse the correction, then you forfeit the covering. You can't be craving for the care of a father and you refuse the correction of a father. It doesn't work that way. Many people love the pastoral care, but they don't like pastoral correction. It doesn't work that way. You cannot really enjoy the care of a pastor, the care of a father, the care of a mother, when you reject the correction of a pastor, when you reject the correction of a father. It doesn't work like that. It takes a combination of both to raise great people, to raise strong people. And you must know, therefore, that God himself corrects. God corrects us. And you know, some have argued and they will say, the Holy Ghost literally does nothing when we sin, except to tell us we are the righteousness of God. <laughs> you heard that before? Yeah, that's the belief of many Christians. That if you sin now, the Holy Ghost will not say anything. All we just say is, that the righteousness of God. You are a son of God. You're accepted in the beloved. You know, you have right standing with God. That is not correction. And that is not the Holy Ghost. That's not the Holy Ghost. How does you are the righteousness of God address the wrongdoing you just did now? It doesn't address it. And that's why many believers today have many issues in their life unaddressed. Many unaddressed issues. 
Because of this wrong understanding that the Holy Ghost does nothing when you do wrong. All he just says is, you are the righteousness of God. No, sir. No, ma. And I'm going to show you from God's word. Are you ready? All right. Open your Bible, the one you brought. So that you will see for yourself. Usually these things are simply a result of misunderstanding scriptures and taking scriptures out of context. One of such scriptures I'll show you too is John 16, verse 8 to 11. The reason why many people will say the Holy Ghost does nothing when I do wrong, all he does is just say, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, you are redeemed, you are accepted in the beloved, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved, glory to God, you are heaven bound, demon chasing, devil stomping, tongue talking, Bible carrying, heaven bound believer. And that's what the Holy Ghost says. When you just finish telling a serious lie that even a dead body will hear and say, ha, inside the grave. <laughs> and that's all the Holy Ghost has to say to that. Now, you tell me if your child does something bad, is that all you will say? You are the best son in the world. How is that a response to telling lies? Or stealing meat from your mother's cooking pot? That's not a good response. That can be all that you will say. That possibly can be all. Are you hearing me now? <laughs> now, hear what I am not saying. I am not saying the Holy Ghost now say, you liar, you thief, you are of your father the devil. <laughs> After all, when did we save you? Was it not recently? <laughs> the effect of your former father is still affecting your life. <laughs> Look, the Holy Ghost is not from Oyo. You know why? They say Oyo Messi. They can abuse. Hey, Oyo people. <laughs> Then Elisha people, hey, they can curse. <laughs> I'm so happy the Holy Ghost is not from those places, man. <laughs> so, hear me. I am not saying the Holy Ghost will begin to call you by those names. Because now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, let's read from verse 10. 1 Corinthians 6, from verse 10, we're going to read 10 and 11. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11, and such were. Did you notice the tenses? And such were. He didn't say, and such are. There's a difference. And such were. Who's talking here? Apostle Paul. By whose inspiration? The Holy Ghost. So the Holy Ghost did not inspire him to call the believers these names. Because the man who is in Christ is none of these. But he used to be like that. So it means if he is caught in that behavior, you can't now say because he behaved that way, you now call him by that. No. Because by doing so, you're labeling him wrongly. So the Holy Ghost will not call you names. And such were some of you. So what changed? He said, but you were, ye are. So notice now, notice. When it, when, it, when it talks of those things, he calls them past tense. When it talks of the work of God, he calls it present tense. You are washed. Did you see this? You are sanctified. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. And by the Spirit, that's your present tense reality. So, 
how then does he correct? So let's go back to John 16 where we, we, we said many people jump on and misinterpret and take it out of context. And when he's come, John 16 verse 8 to 11 is what we're reading. We're going to read 8, 9, and 10 first of all. And then he says, and when he's come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Then he says, of sin because they believe not on me. Then he says, of righteousness because I go to my father and he see me no more. Did you see that? Now, so people usually look at this scripture and they say, well, if at all I do anything wrong, what the Holy Ghost is just going to do is to just continue to say you are the righteousness of God. Because he says he's going to convince the word of righteousness because I go to the Father. So what does the Holy Ghost say if I do anything wrong? He just keeps saying you are the righteousness of God. You are the righteousness of God. So it's like the Holy Ghost is on repeat. He's just repeating himself every time. You are the righteousness of God. When you say good morning, you are the righteousness of God. In the afternoon, you are the righteousness of God. You lie, you are the righteousness of God. You fornicate, you are the righteousness of God. You still meet, you are the righteousness of God. That's nonsense. That's not what it means. That's not what it means. What is Jesus talking about here? Let's read the preceding verse, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, notice he had said of righteousness because I go to the Father. If I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. The comforter is who? The Holy Spirit. Upon what event was the Holy Ghost given? The resurrection and the... Because you see the resurrection, you're wrong. It was upon the ascension. Do you remember that? Put, put one hand. I've not asked you to use any of your hands tonight. Put one hand there in, in John 16. Let's go to Acts 2. So that you will see upon what event was it that the Holy Ghost, you see, was given. That is, what was the event that happened to occasion the giving of the Holy Ghost to the church? In Acts 2, verse 30, Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him. This is who is speaking here. Peter. On what day? The, the day of Pentecost. Good. That of the fruit of his loins. Now, who is he referring to as a prophet here? David. King David. He's quoting from the book of Psalm. So, he says, Therefore, David being a prophet, to help you, and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He seen this before speak of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell. So Peter is explaining Psalm 16, which I quoted, and then he says, uh, he seen this before speak of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. 32, this Jesus had God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. 33, therefore being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which he now see and hear. So what was the event that occasioned the shedding forth of the Holy Ghost? Ascension. Let's look at it again, 33. Therefore, let's read together once you go, everybody. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which he now see and hear. So back to John 16. So he said, nevertheless, verse 7, I tell you the truth, it's experience for you to, that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not what? Come unto you. So what is this, I go and, I, uh, and the comforter will come? What, what is this going about? Huh? Huh? Is the death, the burial, the resurrection, and consequently, ascension to the right hand of God. That's what he's talking about. 
That's what he's talking about. Who was delivered for offenses and raised again for our justification? Still talking about Jesus. Romans 4. Do you see 25? Romans 4.25. Put it on the screen. Do you see that? Put it on the screen. I want you all to see it. Who was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our what? Justification. So the righteousness he's speaking of here in John 16 is talking about what? The righteousness that became our reality upon the resurrection of what? Of Christ Jesus. He's, he's not saying anything about conduct in John 16. He's just purely talking about redemption. Not Christian living at all. He's not talking about Christian living at all. So what, what he describes, go back to John 16 here. In John 16, he's not talking about Christian living. It has nothing to do with Christian living at all. He's still talking about the redemptive work of Christ. So to jump on that verse and say that is what the Holy Ghost says to you when you sin, you are wrong. You are completely wrong. Because that's not the subject or the context of Jesus' discussion in John 16. Everything Jesus is talking about here is about his death, his burial, and resurrection. Not about Christian conduct. Come on, is somebody hearing me now? So tell them, say, remove that one from your mind. Another one is John chapter, James rather, chapter 1. James chapter 1. James the first chapter. And we're reading from verse 5. He says, if any of you lack wisdom... Let him ask of God that give it to all men liberally and obey us not, and it shall be given him. So now, obey not here. Do you see? We're going to look at it. The word used here in the Greek for obey not appears 10 times. Okay? Now, hear this. I want you to write this statement down. Okay? Words have their true meaning in their use in sentences, not necessarily in dictionaries. I'll say it again. Words have their true meaning in the way they are used in sentences and not necessarily in dictionaries. So in other words, you just look in your Greek dictionary and say, this is what the word obreded means in the Greek. And then you now say, I understand anywhere they use this in the Bible, this is what it means. That can't be true. You need to read the use of that word in the sentence, the construct of the sentence, the context in which it is used. And we're going to look at that. All right? The word obradeth, James chapter 1 and verse 5. Glory to God, and we've got to move very fast. The word, first of all, is the word onidizo. O-N-I-D-I-D-Z-O. Onidizo. And onidizo means to defame. In other words, to more like use someone's wrongdoing to bring him down. To defame a person. To use someone's wrongdoing to spoil his name or spoil his chances. Onidizo. It also means to rail at someone. To rail at someone. It also means to reproach someone. And amazingly, the word of bread also means to chide, C-H-I-D-E, which actually is synonymous to correction. The 10 places where that word is used in the New Testament Greek, Matthew 5, 11, let's run through it quickly. Blessed are ye then when men shall revile on a diesel, revile you. And you know what that implies? It's like, 
People deliberately begin to, you know, throw, cast aspersions at you to spoil your reputation, as it were. And the intention of that is to spoil, to block your chances and opportunities of getting things or getting something done. Which is actually what James is saying. That's the way James uses it. That when you ask God for something, that is not the time God will begin to talk about your wrongdoing. And what that implies is there is a time when God can talk to you about it. But he's not going to bring it up at the point of your request. And we're going to see it now. Anyway, Matthew 11, you know Matthew 5, 11, that's Jesus speaking and he's talking about that men will do that to us as believers. They would revile you, he said. Matthew eleven twenty, 20, Jesus now is doing it. Then began he to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done. Jesus did that. He began to upbraid the cities. Did you see? Wherein most of his mighty works were done. Because they repented not. Because they repented not. What that means is, he is calling out their wrongdoing. Did you see that? Hey, if all these works that were done in you were done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have changed. And I'm going to show you something there. But hold that thought. There are 10 places. Matthew 27, 44. The thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. And that phrase, cast the same in his teeth, is from that word, onizo, which means the guy was, he was, he was reviling Christ on the, on the tree. Remember that guy saying it's Jesus Christ. After all, they say you save other people. Why can't you save yourself and save us? Do you see that? Another one in Mark. Mark. Glory to God. Is somebody getting this tonight? Yes, sir. Mark 15, 32. Let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross, that we may see and believe, and that they were, and they that were crucified with him, with him, reviled him. Did you see that now? Did you see the use of it? Mark 16, 14. Afterward, he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat. Look at Jesus now. And what did he do? He upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of hearts. Because they believe not them which had seen him after he was risen. This is post-resurrection. And this is Jesus. He's upbraiding his disciples. In other words, he's correcting them. But notice in correcting them, he didn't say, you're the righteousness of God. No. He addresses what they did. He rebukes them for not believing. He says to them, why did you not believe? That's what he's doing. And that's correction. But you're going to see that this is not fault finding. Because there's a sharp difference between fault finding and correction. Come on now, is somebody getting this tonight? And so you notice this. Glory to Jesus. Jesus corrected like a teacher would correct. And how does a good teacher correct? He would tell you you're wrong. As in the cases we just saw now in Mark 16, 14, afterward he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart. You know what that means? He corrected them. He addressed their unbelief. He said, why did you not believe? He, he called the name of the thing they did. But you know he didn't say you are unbelievers. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. But did he mention what they did? Yes, he did. He mentioned it. The Bible said, let's read again. Mark, Mark. Mark is in your Bible. Do you have Mark in your Bible? Afterward, verse 14, Mark 16, 
He appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their what? Come on now. With their what? With their what again? So it means he can upbraid you with your lying. Somebody hear what I'm saying now? He can upbraid you with your laziness. So it means the Lord can tell you, stop being lazy. And that is new creation. <laughs> Somebody hear what I'm saying right now? He can, he can upbraid you up with, your, with your being recalcitrant. And he says, stop being recalcitrant. With your stubbornness. With your pride. The Lord can tell you, son, stop being proud. He can tell you what you did right there. That's pride. That's pride right there. The Holy Ghost can say that. And I'm going to show you that. If Jesus did it, the Holy Ghost will do it. Because Jesus said, I will send you another comforter. Allos Paracletos. Another of the same kind. Whatever I did, he will do. If Jesus upbraided them with their unbelief, the Holy Ghost will upbraid you with your unbelief. Yes, he certainly will. He's not going to stand in front of you and then he'll be saying, oh, you're the righteousness of God. Oh, no, no, no. He's going to tell you, what you do right there, that's unbelief. You are the righteousness of God. You should do better than that. That's how he talks. Some people have tried to make their own Holy Ghost. The kind of Holy Ghost that does not exist in the world. The kind of Holy Spirit that does not exist in the Bible is what some have created. They've created a new age Holy Ghost. A no fault finding. Okay, let's not use fault finding. A no correcting Holy Ghost. Because it's not a fault finder. All right? But the Holy Ghost that never corrects. Holy Ghost that never addresses the issue. Holy Ghost that is shy of the issue. Holy Ghost that never addresses the big elephant in the room. And he's just going to come and start talking about other things. He can't come straight forward. He's always going through the corner. That's the kind of Holy Ghost some people have. He never confronts them. The Holy Ghost confronts. Acts chapter 5. Ananias and Sapphira. Who do you think was talking through Peter? Peter made it clear to them. Why has Satan so filled your heart to lie against the Holy Ghost? He's speaking by the Spirit of God. <laughs> so he's saying, how dare you look, in, look me in the eye knowing I'm here as an overseer that the Holy Ghost put here. Because that's what Peter, Paul describes the elders of the church. He said in Acts 20, 28, he said, take into thy servant to all the flock of God over the which who the Holy Ghost has made you overseer. So who made Peter overseer in the church at Jerusalem? The Holy Ghost did. So Peter is standing there and he's looking at it and saying, how dare you be so bold to look me square in the eye and you're lying to me and you think it's me you're lying to. You're lying to the Holy Ghost. Because it was by the Holy Ghost in him that Peter knew that they were telling lies. So who was confronting and asked as a fire? That's the Holy Ghost. And he confronted them. You know, that was he, like Jesus did here in Mark 16. The Holy Ghost did to Ananias and Sapphira. He rebuked them with their lying, with their dishonesty. They should have repented. Instead of just standing there and being brazen about it, she should have just said, Oh, mercy, Lord. At least there was a man who was that smart in, in Samaria, in Acts 8. He said, please, sir, don't let all these things come upon me. But Ananias and Sapphira were just looking. If I think that the, 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 who came first, was it the wife or the husband? Was the husband. The wife was not smart at all. 
By the time it was saying, see the foot of those who buried your husband, they will bury it in you too. Say, ah, you should have heard of this nigga. Ah, sir, sir, no, no, sir. I will go and bring the rest. I know where we kept it, sir. Perhaps you are still wondering, maybe no, it's not going to happen. Maybe she was even thinking, ah, he's a lion, bury my husband. He's not dead. Maybe he fainted. We will resuscitate him. I will go and do CPR. There was no repentance in that woman at all. It was as though she was daring the anointing. Could I say, well, they'll bury you too. The Bible says immediately she fell, died. Do you see that? No repentance. You know, we read it earlier on. Those who rebel against correction shall die. Are you seeing this? Yes, Are you seeing this? Yes, sir. In Mark chapter 4 verse 40, and he said unto them, why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? That's correction. That's the Lord Jesus there. In Matthew 17, 17, then Jesus answered and said, oh, faithless and perverse generation. That one is hard, you know. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him either to me. Do you know what he has done there? He has called the thing they did wrong. This is the difference between fault finding and correction, but he's not going to teach them the right way. Did you see? You see another example of that. And notice again, don't forget, the difference between correction and fault finding is that correction will not only call the name of what you did, it will now teach you the right way. But it is not correction if it does not address what you did wrong. I can just stand before you now and start teaching in the name of correction without mentioning what I'm trying to address. You see Paul writing to the Corinthians and say, I have heard amongst you that there is fornication. He said the kind, so he's not going to just say there's fornication, he's going to be detailed. He said the kind that is not even heard among sinners, that this kind, when sinners hear it, they say, wow. <laughs> uh, you can imagine, when sinners say, ah, ah, these people, they sin, sir. Imagine sinners telling Christians that, man, this is your sin is on a higher level than our own. Paul addresses the issue. He said that a man will have his father's wife. You know, Paul wasn't shy to say it. You see, that's why you see, this kind of political correctness that many people are trying to bring into Christianity is ungodly. Don't mention the issue so that people don't feel, you know, it's hate speech. Correction has become hate speech for many Christians. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't mince his words. First Corinthians 5.1 It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you and such fornication as is not so as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. Paul goes straight to the point. I tell you this, if you are a leader in this church, don't be ashamed to confront people with the real issues. In love. Nobody's trying to embarrass you. So, two of you are in courtship and you sit in front of me and I look you both in the eye and I ask you, are you kissing each other? Are you touching each other? I'm going to feel embarrassed. If that question embarrasses you, you need to check yourself. Are you still in the faith? And you know, there are people who will tell you, what's your business? Is our personal life? Are you crazy? Is your personal life? I'm your pastor. You're telling me your personal life. You don't know what it means to be a pastor. I gave everything in my life to be your pastor. <laughs> You're not telling me your life is your personal life. How is it personal? Your life is not your personal life, sir. It's our life. Yeah. <laughs> uh, life that I will give account for. I mean, a life I will give account for. You know, I say it's your, it's your, it cannot be a personal life, sir. It's our life together, you and me. 
Bible says they watch over you as those who must give account. Yes. Yes. Anyone that has an attitude that people are, let's everybody mind their business. We don't want to, we don't want to interfere. We interfere here. Our speciality is to interfere. <laughs> Interference is our job description. That's what it means to pastor people, to interfere, to poke your nose. You must have big nose as a pastor. <laughs> a nose that can enter people's issues. And you sniff it. What's happening there? <laughs> so when we don't see you, we we'll say, where did you go? We are, we are in our rights. We are on our rights. We are within our jurisdiction. You, you can't say, ah, why should you bother about where I went? Ah, what is there? Many things are there. Ah, many things are there. If they don't ask, you should be concerned. How can you say you are a part of a local church where nobody bothers about asking you where you went to when they didn't see you? It means you're not even important to them. You're probably just a number. But yeah, nobody's just a number. You, you are God's sheep. And we are going to ask you, what's going on? When we see you with a lady, that we know that you already have a fiancé. And your fiancé is perhaps abroad. And then we are seeing you with a lady, we are, you told me you are always going together every night after service. We're going to ask you, bro, what's happening? Why are you and that lady? I mean, we are not saved on the same day, so what's the issue? Even if you were saved on the same day, why is it that it's the two of you that are always going home together? What's, what's going on? And it doesn't mean we suspect you or we don't trust you. And that's the issue. Some people are too shy because they feel we don't want them to feel as if we don't trust them. No, it's not a matter of trust. It's a matter of care and watchfulness. It's watchfulness. I have a problem with people who feel they, they have a, is it that you don't trust me? Who is talking about trust here? It's not about trust here. It's about watchfulness. We don't like gray areas here. We don't like anything that is gray. No, no, no. We like things in black and white. Everything is clear. So you tell us, what's going on between you and that sister? Oh, oh, that. No, she, we just met in church and, and, you know, I mean, we just live in the same area. That's why we're going home together. Oh, okay, that's fine. That's all right. But what about the other people who live in that area? Can't you? Can't, can't they join your company? Uh-huh. It's the only two of you that can come of all the people in that area. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. That's Christianity. Because like I said, that's why many Christians have unresolved issues. Because you ask them, oh, you used to struggle with this. So how did you deal with it? You say, oh, it just went. Nothing goes goes like that. Because that thing you say it just went, it's still coming back. Because if it was not properly addressed, it's going to come back. But if it was properly addressed, even if it tries to come back, it will not find the entrance into your life again. But this one, and nothing was addressed, you say it has gone. It's going to come back and it will come back stronger. But when it is properly addressed, you can be sure that when it tries to come back, there is going to be a resistance there. You see, one of the things about correction is that it strengthens you. Correction strengthens you. And I tell you tonight as we close, correction does not belittle you. It's not to make you feel less than you are. No. It's a blessing to be corrected. It's a blessing to be corrected. You notice in Luke 24, 25, Jesus said to them, Oh fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. You know, you know yet again, he addresses the real issue. Ah, because he had worked with these two guys on their way to Emmaus. And they kept talking about everything he had spent three and a half years teaching them. And they were speaking of it in unbelief. That we are taught you will be the Messiah. And this is the third day. You were mentioning third day. It didn't make any sense to them. Nothing clicked. Wow. See the frustration Jesus must have had. That, ah, 
The third day that I repeated over and over and over, you are even saying it like this. It doesn't make any, you didn't click. Nothing, no light came on inside you. It's been the third day now. We thought it would be the return and he's been dead for three days. And I mean, all our hope is lost. I mean, we left everything to fall in. See what he has, he has scattered everything. See, our future now, I mean, no hope. I mean, all this nonsense. Eh, all this that we're taking, our local, our local. See where it has entered. <laughs> you can imagine that. That's where they must have felt like, what is all this? But imagine Jesus listening to them like, what? So by the time he was ready for them, he calls it by what it was. Oh fools and slow of heart to believe everything that the prophets have said unto you. Ah, ought not Christ to suffer these things and to have entered into his glory? But notice he didn't stop by telling them of their own belief. He now teaches them. Go there, go there, go there. Luke 24. Luke 24. And that's the meaning of correction. That's the meaning of correction. Thank you, Jesus. And beginning, verse 27, at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. But you notice this came after he had addressed the issue. He called it by its name. He called it by its name. Now, if this is what Jesus did, this is what the Holy Ghost will do. So it means if all you heard was the name of the wrongdoing and you did not now receive any teaching on how to do better, you have not heard the voice of the Spirit of God. If all you heard was just you are the righteousness of God, you didn't hear him call that thing you did by its name, you still didn't hear the Holy Ghost. The correction of the Holy Ghost is that he will mention the wrongdoing and he will now give you the correction from the Word of God. That's the correction of the Holy Ghost. And notice in all of this, he's not fault finding. In all of this, he's not labeling you. Do you see that? He's not labeling you. He's not labeling you. Because the truth is, if he doesn't identify for you what you have done wrong, how will you even know not to do it again? Because these days now, people seem to be very creative in naming their own actions. So you say, a couple will say, we are not keeping marriage, we are just keeping quiet. No. Because <laughs> things have become so relative in this generation. So people, people living in serious, serious sexual immorality, cohabiting, they will say, no, we're just friends with benefits. So imagine, therefore, if the Holy Ghost does not do his ministry of actually calling the thing what it is, you know, people will call it any other thing they like to make it sound like it's okay. But it's not okay. It's not okay. What God calls sin must be exactly what you call it. Otherwise, there can't be repentance. The more you start setting your own standards and everything becomes relative, there will be no righteous standard anymore. And that is part of the ministry of the Holy Ghost in the life of the believer. And that's why truly, if you feel bad when you do wrong, there's nothing wrong with that. That's not condemnation. It's not the same as guilt and condemnation. That is simply the fact that the Holy Ghost has pointed to you, this thing is what you did. And truly, when he labels it for what it is, the seed of God in you will not be happy with that. The Holy Ghost cannot tell you now that you have told a lie and then you still feel happy. You can't feel happy. Correction makes you uncomfortable with wrongdoing. Do you see that? Correction makes you uncomfortable with wrongdoing. Thank you, Jesus. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. I'll give you three more scriptures in closing. Hebrews 12, 5 and 8. Hebrews 12. 
He says, and ye, and ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. But if ye be without, verse 8, now I skip to verse 8, but if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards, he said, and not sons. In 2 Timothy 3, 16, we saw it there. He said, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Did you see, for doctrine, for reproof, for instruction, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The word correction in 2 Timothy 3, 16, by the way, it actually implies instruction sorry the word instruction implies training a child did you see that now training a child that word instruction also implies scolding a child did you see that and Paul in speaking to Timothy says to him in 2 Timothy 4 to preach the word be instant in season notice and out of season reprove rebuke exhort with all long suffering and doctrine he said, rebuild people. It's part of the assignment of a minister. And I tell you, all the epistles carry this. You see it in all the epistles. Finally, Revelation 3.19. As many as I love, the Lord says, I rebuke and chasten. He said, be zealous. <laughs> be zealous. Therefore, I rebe-. notice what he's telling you to be zealous about, about correction. Be zealous. Therefore, and repents. Hey, is somebody seeing this? Yes, Hallelujah. Yes, Hallelujah. Yes, A scripture came into my mind now that I didn't plan to say before, but I got it. Second Corinthians 7. When, when, when Jesus said in Revelations, he says, Be zealous therefore and repent. So because everyone I love, I, I correct and I chastise. Do you see? Therefore, be zealous and repent. Paul speaking to the Corinthians after he had corrected them about that fornication issue and they repented. See what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 7. He says, For godly, verse 10. He said, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. Now, Paul says in verse 11, For behold, this self same thing that you sorrowed after a godly sort. He said, What carefulness it wrought in you. Yea, what clearing of yourselves. Yea, what indignation. You know, that was when you repent, it's going to be a zealousness against sin. Yea, you see what indignation. Yea, what fear. That's reverence. Yea, what vehement desire to do right. My God. Then he says, Yea, what revenge. In all things, ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. You see, so when you see true repentance, there is zealousness there. To stay on the right path. He said, be zealous therefore and what? Repent. That's the good attitude to correction. So you see that God corrects us. And it's not going to be comfortable. So perish this wrong thought that many people who are half-baked grace teachers, quack teachers, have peddled to this generation. When you sing like this, the Holy Ghost just say, yeah, the righteousness of God. Ew. <laughs> That's not what the Holy Ghost says, brother. No. And notice we say what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, you, you, you are repentant fool, doomed to hell, son of devil. No. Because that would be a lie. And he is the spirit of truth. Yes, but he will call it what it is. Like Jesus did. He began to rebuke them with their unbelief. So, if I tell lies, he will rebuke me with my lie. And he will tell me, you just told a lie there. What you said there is not true. That's a rebuke of the Holy Ghost. What you said there is not true. Go and correct it. That's correction. Yes, sir. 
You didn't, you didn't state the facts right. Go and give the right account. That's correction of the Holy Ghost. He's going to address the issue. He's not shy. The Holy Ghost is not afraid of you. There's nothing you can do. You can't beat him. <laughs> you, can't, you, can't, you can't threaten him. You can't blackmail him. I don't say, you know, God, if you, if you do that, it's me. I say, me, I'm, I'm fragile. I'm fragile in my emotion. If you correct me too much, I will go back to the world. Uh, come and take transport money. <laughs> you go back to the world. Which world? You know, you have been bought. <laughs> you went that one chance. You say, go back, go back, go away. Nah, the Holy Ghost is not going to be afraid of you. He will tell you the truth. And that's why sometimes you notice that, that thing that is talking you inside you for days. And it's just there. You know you, you know you did something wrong. And you're trying to act as if there's nothing. Like you're carrying on business as usual. But you keep, it keeps tugging you on the inside. And it's as though you don't feel that freedom you used to feel. You, you, know, you don't feel like yourself. You see what I'm saying now? now that kind of, that's the kind of thing that when you come to church and you are feeling like something is not right. That's not condemnation, sir. Because if you are feeling that way, and you are at the same time hearing the Holy Ghost say, go and do the right thing. That one is not guilt. That one is not condemnation. It's the Holy Ghost being on your case. You want to lift up your hand to worship God and say, what about that thing I said you should go and do? Uh-huh. What about that thing? Now that's not the time to be quoted. There's no counsel against the Lord. Though. It's not that you're not saying, you're not saying, oh, oh, I will leave this hands. No matter what, I am holy. I am the righteousness of God. He will tell you, God, I need to tell you that to you. <laughs> say, this one, it's not the devil. This one is not condemnation. I am the one telling you. I, you've already known the right thing to do. So go and do it. Yes, because the Bible says, to him that knoweth to do right, the book of James tells us that, and do it if not, it is sin. Yes, so when the Holy Ghost is correcting you, it means he has told you the right thing to do. When you refuse to do it, you are living in sin. And he's not going to allow that. He won't have that. The Holy Ghost won't have that. And that's the reason why he will keep standing on your case. You wake up in the morning, you want to pray. That's the first thing that stares you in the face. Like the way I told you, when you pray to somebody and you're praying and you say, Lord, when they wake up in the morning, let that message, that scripture, let it stand at the foot of their bed. That's the same way the Holy Ghost will stand at the foot of your bed. Concerning that thing, he's telling you to go and correct. And you're not correcting. When you wake up in the morning, that's the first thing you will see. That's what will greet you. When you say, Father, glory to God, the, the response will be Alpha. <laughs> because that's why he's called the Paraclete. The paraclete is there, a sevenfold meaning. Is your comforter, is your standby. So sometimes he's standing by to say, go and do what, go and do the right thing. Yeah, you see that? Is 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 your counselor? He's giving you counsel there. So, son, go and correct that. So get up now, go and apologize. You see that, go and apologize. And that's why, that's why you see, when you say go and apologize and you have been stubborn about that's when the person you are supposed to apologize will walk past you. And they say, look, I've ordered your steps. They are here. Open your mouth, say it. Open your mouth wide and I will feel it. You see, just say it. Say, I'm sorry, I'm not going to die. You, you'll be telling you, say it now. Say it now. Say, I am, oh yeah? <laughs> you know, like one funny crazy joke we saw, mom and I were looking at me and I laughed about that so many times. You say, you say as, as, the person was trying to say, as, as I am now. But it was difficult. You say, as, as me as I am, as me as me, yeah? as me as they say, I am that I am. <laughs> Oh my God. 
<laughs> so when you say, say, I'm sorry, you say, I, I, I am, I am, uh, I am, I am Ashi. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? But you know the joy that comes after you yield and you adjust to the correction. Such liberty, such joy, such freedom. And guess who is now put to shame? The devil. Lift your hands and thank the Lord tonight for his word. Glory to Jesus. Father, we thank you for your holy word. We receive your word tonight in the name of Jesus and our lives are changed by it. Thank you, Heavenly Father. We give you glory, Lord. We give you glory, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Can you give the Lord a shout, somebody? Will you bless you? Hallelujah. This message was brought to you from the Heritage of Faith Church. Our vision is raising stronger believers. For more impactful resources, visit our website at www.hofng.org. God bless you.